Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never change anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man, 
in your mind and make, uh, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, he'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen.
say some shit to y'all that uh, I seen yesterday that made me smile, but it hurt me to my heart. There's a house next door to me that's been abandoned, and uh, the yard, the grass, high as hell and everything. There's a couple of abandoned cars out there beside the house. Well, yesterday I get off work about 7 o'clock. A Mexican guy pulled up. He said, these your cars? I said, no. He said, I just bought this house, man. I said, all right, that's what's up. He was like, you know whose cars these is? He said, no. He said, well, I bought the house, not the cars. Okay, I'm like, cool. I'm thinking he's just coming to look at the house. I go back in the house, do a little straighten up. I swear to God, I walk back at the house. Now, I'm getting off about 720. It's fucking nine Mexican trucks just pull up. They got fucking beer, lights, and shit, right? So I'm like, what y'all finna do? He said, we finna fix this house. I said, what kind of crew you got working after 7 o'clock? He said, these my friends. The fucking house is fixed this morning. They went in there and drywalled that fucking house. I just left out of there. It was a fucking abandoned house. That bitch looked new this morning. Whew. It was an abandoned fucking house. And it looked new this morning. It's an old African proverb. Many hands make light work. I just don't think they're better than us. I just think we won't do nothing together. Wow. You're not hearing what the fuck I'm saying. It was an abandoned house yesterday at 7 fucking 15. That bitch is new this morning. He bought a tax lien house. I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to see is one family going to live in there? Is they going to... I'm, I'm going to get to know the motherfuckers. You best believe me when I make some money, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring us together. And I'm not fucking with a lot of people. Before I get started with this video, I just want to personally thank the brother Fred Hassan Powell of the morale Facebook page for sharing this social political cartoon which is currently displayed in this video. I always big up brothers who are artists like him, my man Will James, Alex K. Art, Chris Miller, and others because their pictures speak volumes. They don't have to say one word because as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. In fact, I want y'all to take a good look at this picture which shows a brother with his hat flipped to the back telling the bald-headed brother that he's hungry as fuck. When the brother attempts to hand him his own fishing rod so he can get some fish on his own, he gets verbally assaulted. No, nigga, I want some fish. Fuck out of here with that coon shit. Man, if you look closer, you'll see that the brother that says he's hungry got a fresh pair of Jordans on his feet. And once again, I want to thank you, Fred, for sharing that photo because it is a perfect warm-up what I'm getting ready to bring up next. Look, last week, I had to stop past a gas station, and when I went in, I took a quick glance over to the newsstand, and I saw the Washington Post. The first thing that caught my eye was something that you normally don't see on the cover of a newspaper, which was a few straggling pants sagging brothers sitting on a stoop of a building outside. I didn't have the time to read the paper in the gas station because I had to fly, but I checked the article online when I got home and I was just flabbergasted. I want you all to check it out for yourself in the description box. It is the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, and the front cover story is a look back at the riots which took place in Baltimore this past April following the death of Freddie Gray. The Post took the time to interview a few of the residents and get their personal take on how things have been 
and has any positive change comes to the streets of Baltimore after the riot. And one of the brothers that they interviewed was a young man that was out there on the streets peddling drugs from time to time, and he stated that he ended up finding out shortly after the riot that there were a few storefront apartments that were up for sale and that they were only selling for just $5,000 a piece. He then said that when he ran the idea of getting together and investing in the neighborhood past several brothers that he was out there selling drugs with on the streets, all of them told him no. And see, this goes to what brothers like myself, Sean James, and many others who are right here on YouTube have been telling y'all about this modern Negro, okay? This Baltimore brother that was interviewed by the Washington Post had a great idea and the right frame of mind to purchase this storefront property while the price is extremely low. But the rest of the Negroes that are around him ended up dragging him into the quagmire of apathy that surrounds the Negro landscape. Dear dude, see that picture in your face, here, dude. Your that bitch scared, nigga. Oh, oh. Beat our motherfucking ass. She feel like you a motherfucking nigga. Beat our motherfucking ass. That yeah, nigga can't. That nigga hurt himself. You from New State. Oh, 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 oh. It's over. It's over. What I say is over. Everybody get the fuck out of here. Man, fuck it. Let's go across the street. that this brother was looking to purchase had five rooms between both of the upstairs levels and it just needed a little bit of furnishing. These spots could have easily been rented out to tenants or used as cheap housing by family and friends that could have worked a legitimate business out of that storefront. The Negroes just don't get it because the more legitimate storefronts, strip mall shops, apartments, and tenements you own would lessen the police targeting you because then you can do what the foreigners and white folks that own these places do, which is hire the police to work security at your properties and places of business. Why do you think they don't go upside the heads of these foreigners? Because they step to the police officers and let them know that they have work for them. These foreigners and white folks that own and run these storefronts hire the cops, and if they don't pay them with cash, they give them free merchandise and meals on the house, so they in turn look out for them. And half these cops do moonlighting security at these places, even when they are on duty, because all they got to do most of the time is just drive through with a squad car or do a quick foot patrol right near the business or apartment housing units that are being rented out. This is why they don't give the Chan family or any Chinese youngster any problems when they see them in the hood by their dry cleaners. This is why they don't bother Mr. or Mrs. Akbar or any Arab kids that they see near the gas stations they own. This is why they don't mess with Miss Yee or any of her grandkids that are close to the nail salon she owns. Because they take a small percentage of the proceeds and pad the local policeman's pockets. And see, your typical foolish Negro that would challenge what I just told you will say, well, see, you insinuating that we got to bribe the police for them to stop brutalizing us. But they, like most, don't know anything about capitalism. It is a game of economic musical chairs. I just gave you the analogy when I mentioned all the foreign families that own all the storefronts, strip malls, and rental properties. Who is the only one who is left standing up with no businesses or property to speak of when the music is done playing and the cops roll through the neighborhood? That's us, yapping back and forth when the music stops and they tell our loitering asses to get moving or catch a bruising. That's us, walking around with sagging pants and glow-in-the-dark fluorescent color wigs like this sister that you see right here tossing rocks during the riot last April. Now, she's throwing rocks and expressing her anger and frustration, but she has a fresh weave on top of her head, which helped pay some of the officers that broke Freddie Gray's back. So who is the sellout and coon, black folks? And think about it. If you own some of those storefronts and control the flow of unlaundered, legitimate-made currency that comes through those areas, you can do your illegal dirt all day long without that much harassment from the local authorities. You might draw attention from a few alphabet gang organizations like the DEA, FBI, and others, but the local guys aren't going to pay that much attention because you're helping them pay bills and you're putting food in their stomach. And since I brought up 
the subject of illegal activity. And you pan-sagging clowns love to talk about how gangster you are. Why don't you do what some of the Irish, Italian, Jewish, and Polish immigrants your dumb ass keeps trying to emulate did by legitimizing some of your hustles and using the same police force that chases you around the neighborhood as a shield? See, most Negroes will try to tell you that we are always at the end of a nightstick, a baton, or getting showered with bullets just because we are black. But ask yourself a question. Why aren't that many Ethiopians and West Africans getting mollywopped and punished to the extent that many so-called African Americans are in the U.S.? Remember, they're just as black and sometimes way darker than us. But why are there fewer cases? of them being brutalized and killed by the police, like we saw with Amadou Diallo or Abner Louima, both of which took place in New York. Why so few cases compared to us so-called Afro-Americans? It's because they're smart enough to own businesses, restaurants, furniture stores, parking lots, etc., and pay the cops to look the other way so their fellow countrymen aren't harmed in any way. That's the logical thing to do. But you can't tell this Negro from America that because you're still living off the backwards principle and creed of entitlement, which these liberals drafted up for us long ago. Instead of assessing this situation from a global perspective and seeing that everyone else seems to be purchasing everything around us so they can live comfortable lives and keep us at a position of marginalization as opposed to putting themselves in that boat, the Negro man and woman in the U.S. will counter it by saying, See, I object because my tax dollars pay for the police not to harass me. No, they don't, you imbecile. Especially after Uncle Sam rapes their paycheck just like he rapes everybody else's. Now, your pro-whack movement pseudo-black nationalist leaders will call me a coon for telling you this, but this is something that they know firsthand. They also know that you more than likely won't view this phenomenon from all angles because you're still under the influence of the can't-we-all-just-get-along flavor Kool-Aid most black folks drank after the post-civil rights movement era, thinking that all the bigotry-enhanced physical assaults and beatdowns we took during chattel slavery and Jim Crow had an exclusive cutoff date to them which is why every single year one of these highly publicized police brutality incidents takes place. There's some dumb Negro that says, I don't believe that in 2087 this is still happening to black people. Yeah, it is. And it's going to keep on happening in 2088 if you don't adopt a different way of thinking, dummy. Your pseudo-black nationalists won't tell you that you are mostly to blame for this continually happening because they want you to keep feeling sorry for yourself and attend more lectures and debates where they argue over whether or not a woman is God or which master teacher's philosophy is better to follow. But I'm here to tell you right now, black folks, that we don't need to attend a gazillion seminars travel with a million other jugheads to commemorate the anniversary of a march that never led to mass black improvement, or study the teachings of some philosophical doctor with 10 degrees to find a solution to our problem. This brilliant brother from Baltimore that was interviewed in the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, who more than likely didn't even finish high school, just gave us the answer. And if you're wondering why I titled this thing Ballin' on Baltic Avenue, I did so as a way of saluting one of my grandfathers. See, long ago when I was a very little boy, he taught me how to play Monopoly. I was about seven years old, and I was all geeked up racing around the board to buy Boardwalk and Park Place. And he said, go right on ahead. He let me do it and said, I'll just buy a Baltic, Mediterranean, Oriental, and all these other properties that you aren't even thinking about. So as the game went on, and I only owned Boardwalk, Park Place, and Pacific, I think, he had all the other properties, the railroads, the waterworks, the electric company, and a whole bunch of hotels and houses on all of them while I was looking silly. And I ended up having to sell what I owned and wait for that $200 paycheck once I passed go. Once it finally set in, that I lost the game, he chuckled and told me, son, you got to own what's in the ghetto before you walk around the block. And that lesson that my grandfather Dave, rest his soul, taught me still applies to this very day. Ownership is a universal language, no matter what culture or ethnicity you come from. 
because it regulates the sort of relationship you're going to have with most of the people around you. Joining me now to discuss these items and more, Amy Holmes, co-host of PBS's In Principle, Lise Wheel, a former federal prosecutor and author of the upcoming Hunting Charles Manson, not to mention anchor of lawandcrime.com, and Akbar Bajabiamila, host of American Ninja Warrior, right here on NBC. All right, good morning to you all. Great to see you. All right, let's start with Bill Cosby. So you already know he, he faced a trial, a criminal trial on assault charges against a woman. He was accused by more than 50 women of alleged sexual assault, all the way up to rape. And today, what's happening, Lise? He's, he's being start retried? Trial, right, a retrial. Because only one of the cases went to a criminal trial. Only one of the, and now still, again, the same accusers again are going. Because it was a hung jury. A hung jury last, last year. But now the same woman is going for a retrial. But now she has five other accusers that are going to be allowed to testify. That means five other women are going to take the stand and pretty much tell the same story. How is that being allowed? Because the first trial, they only let one other woman one come woman in. One woman come in. But now the same judge is saying, well, this time the preponderance of the evidence is, is going to let me have these five other women testify. It is a very big win for the prosecution that's allowing these other women to come in. Because even though the defense is going to say, well, just because these other women said the same thing happened to them, you can't make, you can't draw an inference right. that it happened to this particular one woman. Come on. Five, women Five take the other stand. women taking the stand saying pretty much the same thing, similar facts, similar circumstances. Yeah. That is a big, big win for the prosecution. What going do you guys forward. make of it? Bill Cosby's 80 now. He's 80 now. Yeah. Over 50 women accused. I mean, the fall from grace that this man right. has experienced is stunning. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, for me, it was hard to grasp. I mean, especially you think Bill Cosby in the 80s and what he meant to so many, especially somebody like me seeing a positive influence on TV like Bill Cosby. And to hear this is hard. You look at him now 80, you know, looks feeble, you know, when he's walking out of the car and just, you know, blind. It's just like, man, it's just, it's hard to grasp my mind around this. But you look at the climate that we're in today, it's going to be interesting to see how they work with the, the jury selection, especially in the climate that we're in today. Mm -hmm. And you look at, you know, the Me Too movement and how that's going to impact the jury. We had a hung jury last time. Right. Uh, what does that mean for Bill Cosby this time around? Because this was before, the last hung jury was before the Me Too movement. Exactly right. And now that we've had the Me Too movement and we're still in the midst of it, right. uh, it's a different environment. Now more than ever before, powerful men are being held to account for their exploitative, abusive behavior. Isn't that right, Lise? <laughs> you, guys, you guys know Lise Wheel, just to get the elephant out of the room. Lise is reported, she's a friend of mine, we've known each other a long time, that is but true, right? she's reported to have received a big, 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 big settlement from Bill O'Reilly. No comment. I know you can't talk no about No comment, it. absolutely. You can't, you can't talk the about The Me Too it. movement, let's put it in context of the, of the Cosby trial. The Me Too movement, I think, though, the prosecution, both sides have to be very careful about that because they can't assume that the, being the prosecution, you can't assume that the jury is going to vote sort of or think in a monolithic way here for, for Cosby because... But they're more um, open-minded to this yes, than ever before, don't you think? But you have to be careful because you can't... I think you would... You would uh, both sides would run the risk of sort of... Um, saying to a potential juror, well, we just think you're going to, to vote a certain way or think a certain way because of the of a movement. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that's with the jurors, but I just think the prosecution has an advantage in finally going into, like, open-mindedness oh, yeah. with respect to powerful men. Right, but I think that there's another angle to this, and going to Akbar, to your point, that it's still, even now for me, so hard to put Bill Cosby and serial rapist in the same sentence. He was America's dad. Yeah. And now we're finding that he was hiding in plain sight as America's monster. And I think part of this that we all need to acknowledge and think about is how much we give entertainers leeway in their private lives or their predatory lives because they entertain us, they make us laugh. We lionize them. Yeah. We lionize them. And it's let's not just... remember that the news about Bill Cosby came to us 
from a stand-up comic on stage making an illusion that apparently this was well-known. Yeah. It was well-known among comics, but kept a secret because Bill Cosby was just too funny, too great. And too big. Too, and, and too, too big. big. And too right. beloved. Oh. Beloved. Too Not just beloved. Right. beloved. I want to let the audience know he's repeatedly, Cosby's repeatedly denied all allegations of sexual misconduct, has not been found guilty of any of these charges as of yet. But your jury trial selection begins today. Hello today, fans. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking that button down there. And click on any. A new firestorm surrounds Bill Cosby. But this time it's because of his own words and not the accusations of others. Cosby's confessions about drugs, sex, and young women in newly released documents are eye-opening and leave many feeling betrayed. Here's ABC's Lindsay Davis. Anything to say to your accusers, Mr. Cosby? It's a bombshell, 1,000-page deposition. In it, Bill Cosby describes the sexual relationship he had with Andrea Constant, who has accused him of drugging and sexually abusing her. Cosby describes one of their sexual encounters, stating, I don't hear her say anything, so I continue and go to the area that is somewhere between permission and rejection. Cosby describes the encounter as consensual, a romantic evening, dinner by the fireplace, complete with cognac. Cosby says, I walk her out. She does not look angry. She does not say to me, don't ever do that again. The sweeping deposition, taken over a four-day period at a Philadelphia hotel in 2005, describes Cosby's sexual encounters with at least five women, fueling an exploding scandal involving more than two dozen women accusing the legendary comedian of abuse. He flipped me over and sexually assaulted me. His behavior was like that of a predator. His testimony, published this weekend, was part of Constan's lawsuit. She accused Cosby of drugging and molesting her inside his home while she was employed at his alma mater, Temple University. In it, he says, I think that I'm a pretty decent reader of people and their emotions in these romantic sexual things, whatever you want to call them. In the deposition, Cosby's demeanor appearing almost casual to Constan's attorney, who remarked, I think you're making light of a very serious situation. Cosby replying, that may very well be. What we really got to see in this deposition was his attitudes towards the whole thing. He was even chastised by the opposing counsel for not treating it seriously. That's what's really going to hurt him. Never charged with sexual assault in any of the alleged incidents, Cosby settled the constant case out of court. A source close to the comedian told ABC News he did so to avoid embarrassment for himself and his family. Two months ago, I sat down with him for an exclusive interview where he refused to address the allegations directly. It's interesting. This is a, a situation that's unprecedented. My family, my, my friends, I have been in this business 52 years, and I worked. I've never seen anything like this. And reality is... The situation and I I can't speak in a deposition Cosby admits to obtaining drugs to provide to young women the attorney asks when you got the quaaludes was it in your mind you were going to use these quaaludes for young women that you wanted to have sex with Cosby answers yes Cosby stated he never took drugs or drank alcohol himself during these encounters adding that he would offer those quaaludes to others the same as a person would say have a drink Cosby denies that he ever gave drugs to women without their consent. Tonight, Linda Kirkpatrick, who in January came forward to accuse Cosby of drugging and sexually assaulting her in the 80s, is speaking out. I didn't want sex from him, with him, about him, around him. Kirkpatrick was not one of the women mentioned in the deposition, but says she feels this is her I told you so moment. He was making a mockery of the whole situation and then, in my opinion, being coached on the sideline of what to say and how to say it. His futile efforts to hide his own testimony from the public have been unsuccessful. And now the truth is out, and he's never going to be able to keep this secret anymore. Gloria Allred represents 17 Cosby accusers and has a pending civil suit against Cosby. We're interested in having him tell the whole truth. And I don't intend to stop until we get it. It's quite a fall from grace for the man once known as America's favorite dad. A nickname he earned playing the lovable father on The Cosby Show. My lips are sealed. <laughs> Mine too. 
his wholesome public persona translating into a famous endorsement deal with Jell-O. Mom, you know how the kids love Jell-O pudding. He was a philanthropist and strong advocate of civil rights, but this squeaky clean image was quickly shattered as the sexual assault allegations came pouring in. Bill Cosby was probably the most important African-American person on TV in his day. Along the way, he did a lot of good things, and all that is for naught now. You realize that the emperor has no clothes, and what Bill Cosby says and what Bill Cosby does have absolutely no correlation. There is no morality in this man, and so he can no longer make moral positions. At the height of his wealth and fame, the document paints the portrait of an intensely private man who demanded that his support staff sign confidentiality agreements. He also describes idiosyncrasies, like his collection of at least 100 sweatpants. Cosby admits to offering some of the women career advice in pursuit of sex, concealing payments through his agent, even asking one of the alleged victims questions about her father's death from cancer to get close to her. The storm of controversy has led to public scorn for the comedian. Cosby, now the butt of the joke, even at the Golden Globes. In Into the Woods, Cinderella runs from her prince, Rapunzel is thrown from a tower for her prince, and Sleeping Beauty just thought she was getting coffee with Bill Cosby. I put the pills in the people! The people did not want the pills in them! Now, with this recently released deposition, some are calling to revoke Cosby's Medal of Freedom. President Obama responded without naming the comedian. If you give a woman, or a man for that matter, without his or her knowledge, a drug, and then have sex with that person without consent, that's rape. I think this country, any civilized country, should have no tolerance for rape. As the controversy picks up steam, even old friends like Whoopi Goldberg. All of the information that's out there kind of points to guilt. Are rethinking their support. It looks bad, Bill. Either speak up or shut up. Because people, people know now that there's a lot more out there than they thought. Cosby denied our request for an interview, but one of his lawyers told the Philadelphia Inquirer that the release of the deposition is a violation of the confidentiality agreement, adding, how that deposition became public without being court-sanctioned is something we are going to pursue and deal with very vigorously. There is no way to restore his legacy. You can't separate his achievements uh, from his dastardly acts at this point. It's a true lack of morality, and he will take that to the grave. For Nightline, I'm Lindsay Davis in Philadelphia. I'm at Cheltenham High School, one of the polling stations in Montgomery County. As you know, I want to switch quickly to governors because we have, a, we have something here, the a result in the state of Pennsylvania where the Democrat uh, Tom Wolf has defeated uh, the incumbent Republican Tom Corbin. And this is one of the things we were talking about earlier in the night, Matthew Dowd, this idea that uh, this anti-incumbent feeling could blow back against some Republicans. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to see throughout the night as we see these races, Mitch McConnell wins and other Democrats win, and in, in this race a Democrat takes this, is we're going to see a mixed result but a very clear message. And so we'll see Democrats win governor's races, Republican win some Senate races, we'll see what happens in the House. But I think as you look at everything, the message is clear. The country is not in favor of incumbents right now, whether it's a senator or a governor, and they're not in favor of either political party right now. They're looking for something else. They're actually looking for leaders they think get the job done. You know, and that, that brings to the issue of business people. Now, Tom Wolf, the, uh, the Democrat here, a successful business person, spent $50 million uh, in this campaign. But, Nicole Wallace, let me bring you in on this. One of the things we're seeing Democrats do against Republicans, mm -hmm. Republican businessmen running for office, most especially uh, Michelle Nunn running against David yeah. Perdue in Georgia, is making their business record. They're putting that on the ballot uh, as well. She talked about him outsourcing jobs. Which is funny because I think polls show that in, in a non-specific context, people want politicians who know how to run things, who want to know how to run businesses. And you were talking about the competence question with Martha and John Carl earlier. And this underpins, I think, a lot of the discontent and the dissatisfaction with Washington and, and with the Democratic Party. There's a feeling that not only do they uh, do things that I don't agree with, but that they don't 
execute with any competence. So to me, some of this is in the way that campaigns were run, and some of these guys didn't do as good of a job defending their business record. I think the minute you act, you, you let the Democrat put you on the defensive, it becomes a liability instead of an asset. And I think that's what happened with Purdue. David? Yeah, no well, I think, but Wolf, you know, Wolf, uh, runs a family business, uh, you know, treats his workers well. There's a difference. I think voters don't just say, oh, you're successful in business. They say, is that someone who's going to treat people like me well? And this, you know, Mitt Romney got on the wrong side of that question. But let's actually show. He ran an ad based on it. Let's show it. Closed down, it was pretty much devastating. I don't think David Perdue understands what happens to the people. They were running as fast as they could with as much money as they could get out of the company and just pretty much left us there hanging. David Perdue looks out for his sale. All we were... This is actually the David Perdue that we were just talking about uh, in Georgia. And, and, and Bill, Chris, let me bring he you in on this because, you know, you, this is something we saw in the 2012 campaign again, against Mitt Romney. And you've been warning for a while now that this is something Republicans have to be careful about. Look, I think David is absolutely right in this. You can be a wealthy businessman and people don't hold it against you. And maybe there are some ads attacking you for outsourcing. You can overcome that if you have a positive economic message going forward that explains how you're going to help the middle and working class. Mm -hmm. If you have an economic growth message, if you have an actual sort of populist economic uh, message, if you don't, then you're just playing defense and then you're the rich guy who okay. is paying a 40% income tax. That was the moment in the campaign, the Romney moment, I think, which shows how vulnerable you can be. You're paying, what, 12, 14% yeah. on your income taxes. And instead of saying, I am, because that's the law. But you know what? That's President Obama's the president. The Democrats control the Senate. When I'm president, we're going to change the tax law. And I'm happy to pay more mm -hmm. if we can get more economic growth and so forth. Instead, he just said, well, I did what the law required me to do. I didn't do anything wrong. So it, the key is the message going mm -hmm. forward. I don't think being a wealthy businessman disqualifies you. And Tom Foley uh, running for governor in Connecticut will be another, way, another race for us to watch tonight to test all of our theories. Because he, his he didn't pay any income tax. A very low percent, right? He lives in Connecticut. Come on. But um, <laughs> uh, that was a joke. I live in Connecticut. We have a Democratic governor. We pay taxes, lots of them. But I think that we, we watch how individualized this is, and I think Republicans especially need to pay close attention. I can't think of a Democrat who, who had this used against them, but I, I think watching these races and, and taking the right lessons from them is important. For you know, I think business leaders can make great candidates if they do what Bill just suggested. They can make terrible candidates if they don't defend their record. Okay, today's podcast is titled Bill Lone Wolf Cosby, The Campaign Issue. 619-768-2945 is his live screen number. And the last audio that we just played was about the current governor of the state of Pennsylvania. His campaign spent $50 million to get him elected. And he was one of the people that was uh, present uh, at a press conference upon the conviction of Bill Cosby last week. Let's go to the district attorney, Tom Steele, who he ran on the camp. He made Bill Cosby a campaign issue. Was it him or was it somebody who came to him with a hefty donation? I'm at Cheltenham High School, one of the polling stations in Montgomery County. As you know, Pennsylvania residents get to pick three of the seven Supreme Court judges while Philadelphians elect their next mayor. Here in Montgomery County, the local race for the district attorney has been the spotlight, mainly because of the Bill Cosby scandal. I'm just a little tired of that whole uh, situation. That Voter Keith Ellison may be tired of the mud slinging in the Montgomery district attorney race, but this Democratic candidate for school board hopes the strategy works. Now, I'm a big fan of, of you know, Kevin Steele's and, and really do hope that, that he wins this election against Bruce. Democrat Kevin Steele accuses Republican candidate and former DA Bruce Custer for failing to prosecute Bill Cosby when he had the chance 10 years ago. Custer said we don't charge people for making a mistake or doing something foolish. These voters, however, prefer to pay attention to the issues affecting them and the communities they live in. Taxes, school board, um, things related to sort of uh, the county. You're paying high taxes, and I really want to make sure we're getting the best return on our investment. This polling station closes at 8 p.m. However, if you're already in line by 8 p.m., you will be allowed to vote. 
Reporting live for Temple TV News, I'm Lois Kute. Now, I don't know whether Bill Cosby is guilty. Well, he's guilty according to Montgomery County jury last week. But I don't know what happened with him and all those women. I don't know. We never will know. But here's what I do know. Like I say, the district attorney ran for office and somebody came to him or somebody's came to him with campaign contributions provided this was one of his issues. And essentially, that's how politics works. Bill Cosby, although wealthy, was a lone wolf. So, uh, matter of fact, let me, I've got some statistics for you. Let me bring them out. Okay. Um, okay, here's one. I'll just please load up. Okay, Soros. George Soros spends nearly $1.7 million in Philadelphia's DA race. George Soros, a New York hedge fund billionaire and longtime bankroller of liberal politics uh, causes. Billionaire George Soros uh, put even more money into supporting the winning campaign of Larry Kasner of Phila- uh, for Philadelphia District Attorney um, than the $1.4 million pre- previously recorded. Final campaign report shows Soros uh, dropped another $211,000 late in the game, bringing his total spending on behalf of Krasner to nearly $1.7 million. Uh, for some uh, for some perspective, that's more than five times as much as Kasner spent himself. And nearly 30% of all spending in the seven-candidate primary. Soros has backed uh, district attorney candidates in other cities to support his criminal justice agenda. And, um, matter of fact, I believe Soros is also, matter of fact, Black Lives Matter funder George Soros helps collect liberal prosecutors with a $7 million payout. The reason why I said Bill Cosby was a lone wolf in this case is because he was. He wasn't bankrolling district attorneys into office. Because typically to be conservative about it, you have to put place money on both sides of the table. So that these bankroll DAs in the office, the winner campaign as well as the losers campaign, judges. Now that's not gonna say you're gonna get anything guaranteed. You're gonna more than likely get your agenda out there. And that's what happened with Bill Cosby. Somebody bankrolled the election, and he happened to be, I mean, it's rare when you have an individual that becomes a campaign issue. This food for thought. Um, I'm going to end the podcast today with, uh, if I can find it here, how I usually start this program with the solution because, um, oh man, I can't, oh, here it is, because Claude Anderson lays it out. Getting control of the courts is stage two of building community. 
there's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police departments. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. 